I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Oh, your video. Oh, are you not video? No. <laughs> you do not want to see this mess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. It makes it easier if you want to just do audio. But we're happy to look at your lovely face as well. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy. And I'm Jamie. And this is Clever. Today, we've got badass interior designer Guylaine Vignas. Born in the Netherlands and raised in South Africa, Guylaine made her way to the U.S. and studied interior design at Philadelphia University. In 1999, she established her design firm in New York City and is designing everything from offices to coffee shops to lofts and even yachts. And this lady is not afraid of color. (laughs) No, she's not afraid of a lot of things. (laughs) She's also won numerous design awards, including Interior Design's Best of the Year Award several times over. She's designed a line of wallpaper for flavor paper, a line of furniture for lol designs, and been featured in a kajillion magazines, including Vogue, El Decor, Interior Design Magazine, Frame, and the New York Times. Also a mom of two and respected and admired by all who know her and work with her. Plus, she knows how to have fun with her work. You'll hear all about it right now. My name is Guilan Vinas. I'm an interior designer and product designer, and I work out of New York City. And why did you become a designer? I think that I'm not sure why. I just always think it was a sort of part of me. I think design has always been a part of what I wanted to do even before I knew what design was because I would sort of get so excited by, you know, opening a box of crayons and seeing all the colors. And I mean, I just got this like incredible excitement from that. So in a way, I wanted to like figure out how I could take that incredible excitement and and do something with it I suppose that led me to interior design I learned that you grew up in apartheid South Africa that sounds like a very intense childhood can you tell us about that and what it looked like how it felt and how it shaped you you know it's actually quite the opposite of that believe it or not Growing up as a white person in South Africa in the 80s, our societies were completely segregated. I lived in, just like every other white person did, lived in a very white 
neighborhood, white community. And it was just the way that it was. You didn't think too much about it. That was just it. When I became older, it became more apparent what was going on. And, you know, you started being more conscious of the situation. But really moving out of South Africa, when you heard the news and you, you know, you weren't in it anymore is really when it became very apparent to you what was going on. So I think that's an experience for, for many white people growing up there. At the time that I did, being a teenager there, you know, a kid and then a teenager and figuring it out. So now I look back in total disbelief that that was how we lived. You know, it was just, it's just crazy. You know, we would go to stores where only white people were allowed or black people or Indians or whatever, or, you know, buses were segregated, restaurants, everything. It was just a completely and utterly segregated environment. But, you know, it's a little bit different, too, because I'm not South African, and I think my family moved to South Africa. We lived there for 13 years. Mm-hmm. And so it was almost always a little bit like we were visiting. I always have that feeling that I have always been Dutch, and I have a very deep knowledge of South Africa and the South African people and that sort of thing. So I always kind of a little bit feel like a visitor, Strangely, and I think that's also a bit, a bit different than actually being South African and being being there. But that being said, apart from the apartheid situation, which is obviously huge, um, there's, there were other elements of South African life that were incredible. And I feel unbelievably lucky to have grown up in such a beautiful country. You know, it just was an extraordinary experience. And... I feel very blessed to have had that, you know, to have this incredible schooling and to have made the friends that I made and uh, to have that experience, I think is very special. What is it that brought you and your family to South Africa to begin with? My father is a civil engineer. He's not working anymore, but when he was, he was a civil engineer and his company uh, moved him to South Africa. He was uh, working on the engineering of a harbor in Richards Bay. It was a very strategic area and a, and a harbor would have been great in that area, but they couldn't figure out the engineering of it. So they hired a Dutch company to do the engineering. My father was one of the engineers on the project. So we were there on a, on a one-year contract. He was there on a one-year contract. And then after that we moved back after a year and then they had just fallen in love with South Africa. So they decided to move back independently. And my father started his own engineering business. And, and that's sort of how we ended up spending the next 13 years in South Africa until it got to a point where it was too dangerous and it wasn't safe anymore. It wasn't pleasant living there. It just, you know, you, you were watching your back constantly and then the economy was in a complete disaster. And, you know, so I think at that point, my parents had decided that it was probably a good time to go back. And by going back, that means going back to the Netherlands? Yeah, going back to the Netherlands, where I had not spent any time at all. You know, I think in the 80s, we didn't travel like we do now, where we just hop over to Europe for the weekend. You know, so we didn't travel, we didn't go back and forth to the Netherlands too much. And my my family used to come, my grandmother and aunts and whatever, they used to come visit us in South Africa, but hadn't spent a tremendous amount of time in the Netherlands. And coming from South Africa, this big, glorious country where 
you just so much freedom and nature around you. And we would go to the beach and get on a boat. And I mean, it was just like an amazing, amazing lifestyle we had. And then we moved back to the Netherlands and everything was so small. And it was a, it was a complete culture shock for me, I have to say. And I had just turned 18 when we moved over there. I was very happy in South Africa, you know, madly in love with a boy. Aww. And uh, yeah, it was, it was actually a really really difficult time for my entire family, for my parents, for my siblings. Sydney wasn't what we wanted to be doing. You know, we were very happy in South Africa, but my parents knew that it was time for something, for a change. So yeah, not not the best time of my life, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And so I get to, to the Netherlands and I'm like, oh my God, what now? Like, honestly, I had no idea what I was going to do because I was going to take a year off after high school. My friends and I had decided we would go on some adventures. I was probably going to travel. I had thought about going to Israel to go and, you know, spend some time on a kibbutz just for the experience of it. You know, so, and then all of a sudden, we were all going back to Holland and there we were and, you know, it was it was very difficult. And in many ways, the boyfriend that I had, you know, sort of saved me because he, he you know, he said, you've got to come to America, you'd love it. Uh, it's going to be amazing. He was very good at taking care of me and, you know, he sort of had that He was very nurturing in that way. And so he helped me set that up. He ended up spending the summer with me and then I ended up going back to America and had, you know, enrolled in the school, this very small school. And there were only 200 students at the school. So it was very, very small. How much time did you end up spending in Holland between South Africa and moving to America? Only nine months. Oh, okay. You know, I wanted to study. I wanted to do something. But I was very lost at that point. Yeah, I was going to ask you, having lived in South Africa, the Netherlands, and and now the United States, but never really, I guess, directly putting roots down anywhere in the beginning, did you feel displaced or did you ever feel a struggle between different cultures? Or how did you find your your cultural identity? Moving to America was sort of very comforting for me. I was meeting up with some of my South African friends who were going to the same school. I could speak English again. I could very easily identify with American people. In a way, it was like coming home. I kind of, the culture was different, but it wasn't like, like Europe for me was really tough. It was Hmm. really difficult. Um, There was, even though, you know, growing up, we spoke Dutch at home always. We ate European food. You know, my parents are like super European, you know. They never, we never adopted South African cultures at home at all. We, we were living like a Dutch family in South Africa. I mean, we had plenty of South African friends and we integrated into the culture. But, you know, our home life was very Dutch. So, I, I don't know, America was, was, was amazing to me. It was just, I loved everything about it. I loved that it was, you know, I had been funneled into this tiny little world in the Netherlands and now I was coming back out again, you know, and I could always just see the opportunity here in America. I loved it. So you studied in Philly, which is cool because I did too. But I, before we get to that, I wanted to know when you moved with this boyfriend, did you move to Philadelphia or did you move to another city first? We moved to a suburb of Philadelphia. So it was a town called Bernathan. It's a small town. It probably has 1500 people in it, but it has a college in it. And so I moved there, but it was definitely sort of suburban 
It was not city at all. You know, I hadn't ever lived in a city up till now. I grew up in the suburbs. But when after two years there, I transferred to Philadelphia College of Textile and Science, which is now called Philadelphia University. When I transferred was when I actually thought, okay, what am I doing? What am I going to major in? And then at that time, it became clear to me that interior design was what I wanted to go into because I looked at schools in the area that I could study interior design at. When you transferred there, was that like the first city that you lived in? Well, I'd stayed in the town of Bernathan. Oh, and commuted. Yeah, I commuted because my parents had taken a financial blow coming from South Africa. So they sort of came back with not very much at all, went back to Holland with not very much at all. So, you know, it was a stretch for them to pay for college and they were just in incredibly generous at putting me through college and it was a huge expense for them at that point you know as they were trying to rebuild their finances back up again so they had said you know they paid for my first two years in college and then said well if you transfer then we'll pay for your college but you need to figure out room and board which was pretty tough because I didn't have a work permit so I couldn't really work I only had a school permit. So, you know, I was an au pair for a year and then I worked as an RA in a high school dormitory and I just used to commute to school. So I didn't have that sort of college experience that everyone talks about, you know. I was really commuting and sort of trying to just make enough money to get through and pay for my car and that sort of thing. So it was tough, but it was fine. It wasn't like, oh my God, that was the toughest time. I managed. It was just what I needed to do. All right. So you moved to the United States with a boy, as we ladies sometimes do, but that boy is not your current husband. Your husband, actually, he and I share the same name, yet it is pronounced differently, correct? That's right. He's Jaime and you're Jamie. Yeah. How did you end up meeting him? It seems like everything I did was I was chasing some boy around, but... (laughs) That is true. But there was this Venezuelan boy that I really liked a lot. And a friend of mine, another Venezuelan friend, I have no idea how I was connected to so many Venezuelan people, but we were sitting out filling out green card lottery applications at my apartment. And then he left and then came back two seconds later and said, I'm going to this party. Do you want to come? And I was like, is so-and-so going to be there? And he goes, yeah, I think so. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. So then I go to this party and this guy that, that I really like a lot, he's, he's clearly not very interested in me. And so I ended up at this party and I didn't really know anybody. I was like, oh, great. Yeah, I am. Anyway, so then I started talking to Jaime, who was – I don't know, in a group of people. And it turned out that we worked a block away from each other. I worked on 19th Street and he worked on 20th and 5th Avenue. So I don't know, we just we just kind of talked and that was a Sunday and he was supposed to be at that party with a girl he was dating at the time, but he had shown up to the party a day earlier thinking the party was on Saturday and then it wasn't. And he showed up the next day and the girlfriend couldn't come. So he was there and he tells the story like he saw a halo over my head and he tells the whole like... His love story is much more romantic than mine. I, I did spend, as he tried to like date me, I, I spent a lot of time trying to break up with him and giving him reasons why we should not date. And I was trying to fight it. And I remember my sister saying, what the hell is wrong with you? This guy is so nice. He's so nice to you. you. Just stop fighting it. And, you know, it's not like that love story that everybody has, you know, but we're so strong, you know, and he is amazing and I love him to bits. And, you know, we make a really good team. 
he's he's amazing he's an amazing 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 man and i am i'm very lucky to to have married him and sometimes you work with him too doesn't he do photography he does photography but he's a graphic designer oh yeah that's yeah that's right so i can tell you that the reason why i've been able to develop my career is really because when i met him i was working sales design sales i was like i don't know where my career is going and he has always seen something in me that i didn't see and he's always like been incredibly encouraging and he just saw something that i was like he was like kind of like the first guy that really told me that I had something special and and based on that I sort of was like oh wow really oh let me mm. let me check this out let me see what this is about and so he helped me with my portfolio in the beginning and getting that organized and I mean just the most amazing supportive man that you can imagine and very very kind and so he's super talented and so you know, we've always kind of leaned on each other as far as aesthetics goes or decisions. Or we've always maintained separate companies. But when I started doing product design or a long time ago when I was doing any kind of design work for rugs or anything, he would always help me with the graphics and he's always done my website. He, he does a lot of photography and every single project that needs anything you know graphically designed or anything he's always the person behind that you know we now have done a couple of wallpapers together oh are you referring to the flavor paper yes it's really been fun working with john sherman at flavor paper and the gang there yeah he's great oh so nice so nice like and, and I think that's sort of been a big part of my story you know just uh working with people where it just feels right and you don't have to try too hard. I mean, obviously we work really hard, but the whole relationship thing, you know, it's just so, um, you just know when it clicks and when it works and working with Flavor Paper has been one of those experiences for us. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. 
On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals, led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. You mentioned you did design sales for a while, and I think I read or heard somewhere that you said you were really good at it. And I would love to know how you kind of transitioned from working for someone else and selling to actually designing and starting your own firm. When I just got out of school, I graduated from Philadelphia and I moved straight to New York because a bunch of my friends were living in New York and they said, we've got a big loft, come and move in here with us. So I did. So I'm pounding the pavement in the early 90s, like 1990. There is not a job anywhere. I mean, major recession. I couldn't, I could not land a job. I get out of the wrong subway stop. And there's a store, a beautiful like furniture store. And I go in and I, and I ask them if they have any 
openings and I end up getting a job at a company called Techline. And so you had to sort of use this modular furniture system and we had to, you know, work in the showroom a couple of days, pick up sales, then go and do field measures. Or sometimes we would work on bigger projects like hospitals or big offices. You'd have to draw out the layout and then sell it as well. You'd have to figure out how much it was co- going to cost. You'd have to uh, tweak design or whatever. Um, so you, you sort of little machine on your own working within the company and you know it was commission based I figured out very very quickly what questions to ask I figured out very quickly how to be on equal footing with the client and you know I sort of compared it a lot to dating like you don't want to be desperate you don't want them to be desperate like how's this just going to feel good so I would just ask questions so how do you how did you feel about this like do you think you want to take this further what's your process on making this decision whether you want to go ahead or not you know pretty simple questions but I would sort of gather that information and then focus my attention on deals that I thought I could close and leave the other ones alone I don't know I just just figured it out figured out how New Yorkers work just came quite naturally to me and I had no idea that I could do this but yeah I was pretty successful and it was a franchise and I found out after a couple of years that I was actually the top salesperson in the US wow that's awesome (laughs) but my bosses never told me that I only found out going to like some kind of convention and they were like oh yeah you have pretty good sales you uh I was like oh really yeah you know so that was sort of surprising yeah I mean I I love that experience you know I like to push myself I don't care about competition I don't care what other people are doing but I like to push myself and and this commission thing was amazing yeah it's very motivating (laughs) oh my god it was amazing I loved it yeah I sold furniture through college at at a couple of different furniture stores and It's very motivating. And you do learn a whole lot about how people work and about helping them with their space and design. But it sounds like you were really doing a lot more hands-on design work like an interior designer would do for a client. I think uh, maybe, but maybe more like a draftsperson. I'm not sure what it was because my sales skills were were pretty good at that point. But my whole uh, experience of being a designer was terrible. I mean, I had no confidence in the world of design at that point. I've never stepped into a design office or worked a day for another designer. I wasn't practicing CAD. I had no idea. You know, I was really getting left behind as far as technology was concerned and being able to keep up in an office, you know. So I kept doing that job knowing that I was missing out on the design experience, my creativity, there was no creativity in my job. So I became more and more intimidated with with the idea that I would have to go out and find a job. So it was, you know, it was good and bad at that point. And so what was that transition like when you were like, okay, I've had enough of this sales thing, I need to really bite the bullet and start my own thing? So nothing in my life has ever gone that way. I never, <laughs> I never sort of plan something and think, okay, my next step is this and this and this. Things just sort of happened to me. And what happened was at the time that one of my friends that I had met in Pennsylvania, one of my first friends that I had made, he had a friend in New York who was opening an office. And this was my friend, Chris Kerr. And he had said, you know, Paige, a really good friend of mine does office design. And so you might want to speak to her because if you're opening the new office. And so he kind of thought that I would go in there and 
you know, play some tech line in there or something. She understood it that I was an interior designer and was going to do my whole office. <laughs> so I walked in there and, and I didn't know, like, I didn't know what, what the expectation was. So, so she said, okay, so you're a designer, you know, we're looking for someone to design the office. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. I can do that. <laughs> so so um, for somebody with no confidence, that sounds like a pretty fearless move. No, I, I wouldn't say I didn't have any confidence. I was probably overconfident in many ways. <laughs> yeah, a strange combination of, of that at that point. No, I, I'm, I've never been scared. I have no fear. I have absolutely no fear. Where does that come from? It's my parents. I'm sure it's my parents. Okay. I'm not scared of anything, really. I'm not. I was. I'm always like, I can do that. Well, let me figure out a plan, and then I go to work thinking, and I can put things that usually means that I pull people together, and that's exactly what I did in this situation. Like, I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna tell anybody that I knew what I was doing. My first thing was like, oh my god, I got this job. I need help. So I did end up getting this job, and the job was amazing. It was 10,000 square feet of completely raw office space in the Starrett Lehigh building in New York City, which is this gigantic, gigantic building. And it was just being developed at the time. And, you know, Martha Stewart has her offices in there, or maybe not yet. She was moving in, and it was a big deal building. I got my friend Vincent Palestro on board. He was another architect that I worked with. And I said, I need your help. I'll go 50-50 with you because I knew that I needed to split this 50-50 because I knew that I needed him to take some serious responsibility on this project. And I knew that was the only way I could do it. And so he helped me through the process. And then we had the contractor. We sort of said, listen, I've never done this before. I don't know anything. You've got to help me. And and so we just formed this team and it was great. You know, I loved working with Paige was incredible. She was the, she's the client Paige West. And, you know, right now we're working on my 11th project with her. That turned out well. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. That's a good one. I'm glad I didn't screw that first one up. What do you think the key to not screwing it up was? Was that just being really transparent about like, this is my first one, but I'm a great problem solver and I can do this? I'm not sure I even knew that at the time. I think it was just, I don't know. It was just maybe common sense. Yeah, well, I tend to trust people who exude a kind of confidence and common sense. So even if you were feeling like you didn't have the training in a design office, you probably were emanating this air of confidence and figure outitude that people tend to feel really relieved by, really comforted yeah. by. Yeah, you know, up to that point, I was sort of developing my aesthetic. I mean, I always, always knew, I always had a very, very strong aesthetic. I knew what I liked. I knew what I didn't like. There was no doubt about that. Very seldom was I on the fence whether I liked something or not. And if I was on the fence about it, I could tell you very easily what aspects of it I liked and didn't like and how I felt maybe that it could come together better. Or You know, I, I'm pretty confident in that way, but still so much to learn because I had a very narrow idea of what modern design was. I had absolutely no, no appreciation for history of design or any of that. I was just, I was just kind of catching up with what was current, what was on the market, what was happening at that time, but was not coming from anywhere with a with a with a big back history of knowing what had come before. And maybe that was kind of good in a way because I don't know, I was just sort of working in a very intuitive sort of way. 
that was your first job working for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I was still during that time. I was still working full time for the company as well. Oh, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this was another kind of thing that happened because I got this job and I said, listen, I've got this job. I cannot turn it down. It's amazing. And good news is there's some tech line in it as well. So I can make that happen. They were like, well, you know, just don't work during the day. And I was like, okay, that's impossible. I have to work during the day on it as well. And I think I was just as upfront as I could be with them, you know, and they were really cool about it too. You know, they were really nice and flexible with it. I think they probably knew that I was going to be moving on at some point. So, you know, we made it work and I worked hard. So it wasn't like, you know, I was slacking off or anything like that. I was a very hard worker and I would just taken this on and and then and then I got pregnant as well with our first child uh during (laughs) during that so you've got two jobs and you're pregnant yeah and I think that was I mean there was a perfect way for it to happen because it was a perfect way you know that's why I said I didn't make a decision okay now I'm going on my own it's sort of was I had one project that I had completed, I knew that I could do this and I knew it was something that I wanted to do. I knew that walking into somebody else's office was probably the most intimidating thing that I would ever have to do. And so then I had dodged that bullet and I didn't have to do that. I could kind of figure it out on my own. So that was sort of the incentive to start my own business, I think, just because I was so scared of going anywhere to interview for a project. (laughs) So you are scared of something, working for someone else. <laughs> yeah, I am. You know what? And there are plenty of other things I'm scared of. Uh, that was that was a biggie for me, yeah. Well, you've mentioned in other interviews that you love the freedom that having your own design firm allows. And I'm a person who enjoys working for myself as well. I had so many jobs and I always was like, why am I so unhappy? And it was typically because I just didn't want to answer to anybody else and I want to do my own thing. So what what did you dislike about the idea of of working for somebody else and and has that affected the way that you are as a boss now? I'm very, very spontaneous. I'm a very spontaneous person. I um, I don't like to think things through too much. You know, I would get into situations. And then I've recently found this thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, that is my life. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody actually has coined the term. That's amazing. I'm not like that anymore, but that was, that I still have a bit of that, you know, a big part of it. I just did not want to miss out on anything. And uh, work would really get in the way when, you know, when I was dating a boy or something like that, and everybody's taking off to go to the beach that day, and I'd have to work. I'd be like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. You know, I, or, or things like that. I just always, that's been really difficult for me. I've always just sort of wanted to, I don't know, like, kind of do my own thing and I used to be okay with people telling me what to do but I'm not so okay with that anymore I'm not so good I'm I'm very good at listening to clients I, I definitely see my clients as my bosses in many ways you know they dictate to a certain degree what they want the project to be and I like to think that I listen to that but I like being my own boss and mm. I like the freedom of it I like the freedom of you know going where I want, when I want. If somebody says, you know, 
last minute you want to go to Chicago to Neocon and I can go yeah actually I can okay great you know or do you want to do this or do you want to meet this weekend you know take Friday off or I, I, I need to do that I love that about my life I love that nobody can dictate like just the idea that somebody says to me you're allowed you know 15 days off or something like that just is like are you I mean just put me in jail right <laughs> I don't think I've taken 15 days off, though, since I started being self-employed, because <laughs> I like what I do so much. Oh, I have. But who's counting? Do not count that days. Well, you know, you've got you've to have input for output, right? Exactly. But then what I always say to my employees is, you know, you get X amount of paid vacation days. But I always say, if you want to take more, talk to me. I have no problem with people taking days off or going places or not at all. I think it's really, really important. That's how they feed their inspiration and their cultural awareness and their excitement and energizement. Energizement. Energy. <laughs> energy. Energy. <laughs> like word. You can make up new words. It's good oh, to I make do that all words. the time. <laughs> but don't you feel like at the end of the day, as long as people are getting their work done in a timely manner, who cares? Well, I think that as a boss, I think it's definitely changed how I am. I mean, office environment is is so important to me. And I am so incredibly proud of the office environment that we have, that people, you know, there's no backstabbing. My crew is amazing. They work hard. They take care of each other. You know, they take care of me. It's a very, very, very nice work environment. And there's no shouting. There's no screaming. There's no, there's none of that diva stuff that happens in a lot of offices. I mean, I'm not always the easiest person to please because I'm picky and, but I will never lose my tempo or anything like that. So it's a very, very nice work environment. And we try and laugh as much as we can. And we have a lot of fun. And I don't take any of this so seriously that people are getting upset or or anything like that. That's hugely important to me. And it's hugely important. You know, we do reviews twice a year. And I'm always like, my questions are always like, what could you be doing here that would make you happier? Or is there anything that you're doing that you hate doing that we can um, switch out for something that you prefer? What do you wish you were doing more of? What do you wish you were doing less of? You know, because I just, I, I really believe in happiness. And I think that I've been able to make things happen so that I can be happy, but I want I want people here to feel like they're in control of what the work that they're doing and how they work, and you know that's just really that's a huge part of the way that I feel about work. You've talked about your relationship with your husband. Relationships were a key part of your sales success. Your relationship to your employees as a boss, and of course your clients. And I'm wondering how you approach building and maintaining those relationships. You mentioned equal footing. And so I wonder if that's an aspect of your relationships with everyone, including your personal relationships. I do think that in some relationships, you're going to be stronger in some ways and you're going to stand back in other areas. I mean, there's a natural play that you kind of move forward or back depending on what you're feeling. But I feel like my best clients are the ones that firstly start off with just loving my work. The people mm-hmm. who come to me and say, you know, we love what you do. We get it. It's awesome. And then, you know, they want to play. Basically, that's what it 
feels like to me like oh you want to play design let's let's go let's do this <laughs> yeah. you know let's go uh, let's do some off-roading anybody who gets it we're going to have a great time but those are like the most amazing relationships I have with my clients where we can come up with narratives and we can tell stories and we can take aspects of their personal life and weave it into their interiors or in their in their offices or whatever we're doing. A huge part of my work is storytelling and getting to know my clients and who they are and what they mean. And that whole development of the project in the beginning is just getting to know them, figuring out the quirky things about them and making it into a story and then creating an environment based on that. So that is like an initial rapport that I have with those clients and it's got to be fun. You know, there has to be a sense of humor in it. There has to be, I, I'm not one of those designers where we've got to take everything so seriously and, you know, that relationship it has to be fun and you have to like the people. They have to like you, you know. Well, and all of that translates into the space, I think, and how they feel about the space after it's done. And so if you've developed this relationship with these people and weaved their story and their personality into the space, what effect do you hope that that has on them after you leave, after you are no longer involved in, it's not a work in progress after it's a finished piece? Right. So, I mean, there's always a definite transition when you have to let go and mm -hmm. it's always a little tricky because for while you're working on the, whatever it is, the house or the office or boat or whatever you're working on, you know, while you're working with that, with the contract or whatever, you spend so much time in there and it almost feels like yours. It's yours, you know, as you're finishing up and you're doing the finishing detail, art goes in or whatever. You have to then ask your client, can you come in? You have to, you know, you have to step back. You have to knock on the door again. And you're sort of handing over this project back to your clients again. And it's always a little bit strange to me, you know, that transition. I'm working on a project right now and we're transitioning. We're just finishing up. And now I am going to be a guest in the house. Whereas before, you know, I sort of was, that was my house. I was creating for them. The most important thing for me is that they step into that house and they just feel good. Like the aesthetics of happiness, living in a, in a space that just you don't know why you walk into it and you just feel good about it. It just makes you feel happy or calm or it feels like home or whatever it is. And I also think that it's got to be sort of stress free. So we spend a lot of time working with fabrics and materials and thinking through things that the clients will be able to, you know, just keep. So you go back there in four years and it still looks good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've got to be able to maintain it because that happiness wears off pretty quickly. If the space itself starts to become unmaintainable. Yeah. Or if you use a fabric that stains easily and I don't know, there's, there's a whole lot of things that can happen, but that's important. Do you feel connected to each space product or project that you do sort of long after it's the files closed and you're done? No, I let go right away. You let go I right away. Know, yeah. I can't believe I was still married to my husband because I had that. Very, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> if he doesn't show up for three days, I'm like, who, hi me, who, what? No. So I, I, uh, I move on very, very quickly. I'm not connected to spaces at all. You know, when clients move and, you know, they move somewhere else, I very seldom do I feel any kind of uh, sadness at that space not existing anymore. Yeah, I'm not sentimental in that way at all. Interesting. You're fearless as well. You're not full of fear or risk aversion, you know, and I can see a lot of ways where that would be a really good thing. 
but mm-hmm. has it ever gotten you into trouble? I'm sure it has. Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, maybe it's sometimes like being so so confident that this and this will look great together, and then somebody will say it just really won't, or and then I'll go, no, 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 I'm conv- no, I'm, and then and then you get it, and you're like, gosh, that looks like crap. <laughs> what was I thinking? Why did you let me do that? I'll say to somebody, and they were like, you were convinced that it looked. I was like, yeah, it was. You're right. I thought really thought it was going to look good, but you should have said something to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, it it happens for sure. But I think there's something cool about the fact that you can't even remember when fearlessness was a problem. Mostly it's just a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's very convenient not to remember things like that. I don't remember terrible things that happened in my life. Really? Yeah, I try to forget them. Sometimes people remind me about things. I'll be like, oh, remember when the, you had that huge fight with so-and-so over the thing? And I was like, What? Did I? Oh my God. Yeah. No, I don't. Oh, that's right. Oh my God. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I I try and uh, I try not to hold on to, to stuff like that. It's probably like, probably need some therapy or something. Oh, I don't know. You sound sort of delightfully unencumbered. You're not carrying your baggage around with you everywhere. Oh, and I do have baggage. I do have serious, like I do have issues. I'm a combination of being overconfident and insecure as well. I can think for days about something that I said and think, oh my God, why did I say that? I probably hurt that person's feelings or I come off as being pretty confident. But if there's some negativity or something, I really will mull it over for days. And, you know, as soon as it gets fixed or, you know, then I'm like, oh, thank God that got resolved, you know, but things like that really bother me a lot. And is the discomfort chiefly in the prospect of perhaps hurting somebody's feelings? I mean, I know for me, I'm fearless when it comes to like doing certain projects or power tools or tough work, but I am terrified of hurting somebody else's feelings or the discomfort that arises from that. Uh, This is maybe too much about me, but it's probably because I want to be liked. (laughs) I want everybody to like me. And so if I do something where I might hurt somebody, I might think, oh, does that mean that they're not going to like me anymore? Or, you know, and that's a huge insecurity, right? Like if you're really secure, you don't give a shit if somebody likes you or doesn't like you. You know, I I think we're all mixtures of different things. And I mean, if you really know me, you know that you'll have plenty of times that you'll see um, questioning things or, you know, saying, do you think that was the right thing to do? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I feel bad about this. Just to let you know, word on the street is you are very well liked. (laughs) Oh, so take that with you. We like you. <laughs> I like you a lot. Oh, thank you so much. That makes me feel so good. That's enough fuel for like three days. Am I pathetic enough to everybody? No. It's not pathetic. What that is is human. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about you being an entrepreneur, a mother, a wife, a designer, etc. You do quite a lot. You're a badass lady boss with all kinds of things on your plate. And you love freedom. How many kids do you have? 13. <laughs> no. I, no, two no. girls. Two girls. girls. I wanted to make, make it sound like I was really, you know, accomplished <laughs> in the mothering department. I, I have uh, two daughters. I, one of them is about to turn 14. Her name is Saskia, Saskia Luna. And my oldest daughter is almost 16. And her name is Mia Soleil. Oh, pretty names. Yeah. Yeah. So we call them Saskia and Mia, but I love that their middle names are Sun and Moon. 
So let's just talk about motherhood for a second. Amy and I had this discussion where we were wondering like why we don't ask guy designers about being parents. But for some reason, there's something about, you know, being a mother and having your own business uh, because being pregnant and having a baby kind of disrupts your life. It might just be temporary or, you know, it might be forever because you have to carry this baby and then they come out and then you have to, you know, nurse it and wake up in the middle of the night and all of these things. And being an entrepreneur, like how did that impact your business or did you have a baby and then have a different view of the world? Did it change you at all? I mean, I always always knew that I wanted to have children. I actually didn't know that I wanted to have a career. I knew that I wanted to have children. The career thing is a complete, complete and utter surprise to me. Um, but so you just kind of do it, you know, it's hard to sort of explain, but you just kind of roll with the punches. You don't really know what to expect and you don't know how you're ever going to afford any of it living in New York city and having to pay for schools and babysitters. And it's all, if you think about it too much, it's all way too overwhelming. And so I think that the way I did it was you just played day by day and didn't really make any plans about what we were going to do or how we were going to do it. And we just kind of let the whole kind of family thing just evolve. And, you know, there are some things in my mind you just can't plan for. And that for me, it worked that starting my business at the same time as having a baby, it was a completely new thing. So the baby thing was a new thing. The family thing was a new thing. The job thing was a new thing. So I didn't have sort of this idea of like, oh, uh, work pre-baby was like this. And now post-baby, it's like this. Because it was just al- almost in many ways, we were starting this whole new adventure from scratch, you know. And so everything was new. And I, I could not think of going back to work with with a baby. That to me was, I, I couldn't even imagine it. I couldn't imagine getting a babysitter to take care of my kid and then go or putting it in in nursery. I don't know, whatever you do. I didn't think of it as an option. And so those first five years, because Mia was born first and then Saskia was born two years later. And I remember after I had Saskia, I was at my desk the very next morning. I was back at my desk again. I took not a day off. I hear you, sister. I had my laptop in the hospital <sighs> room with me the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think that three months later, I sort of must have had a sort of, I don't know, breakdown of some kind because I think it was all too much. You know, I had no employees at that time. I was trying to run my business and, you know, there was a hell of a lot going on. You know, Jaime has always been an extremely involved parent and uh, he's uh, sort of in in the last probably six years or so, he's sort of the the main caregiver at home and he runs the household and, and that sort of thing now. But the first five years I was really doing a lot and it, you know, it was tough. It was really hard. And I managed and I, you know, tracked through it and at the time I didn't quite, realize how hard it all was because you just do it you know it's not like you have nobody say to you well what would you like to do today would you like to run your business and take care of two children or would you prefer no you just have to do it so you bloody do it and um and so you know I, I don't think I don't really feel like there were a lot of choices then we just we just did it 
I was just trying to grow my business and I always felt so passionate about design that like you said, Jamie, you know, that you said like it's what you do. It's just an extension of yourself. And that's always what it's been like for me, for my business. It's been stuff that I've really, really, really felt passionate about. So just it's it's just keeping that that thing running, you know. Mm hmm. Have you ever experienced any misogyny or chauvinism or anything in dealing with clients or in business relationships or anything like that? Very, very, very little. That's great. Oh, that's a relief. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, very little. I love sitting with a table of men and being the only woman there. I am not intimidated and I will not let a man intimidate me because he's a man. Never, ever. I mean, to be fair, I also haven't worked in many corporate situations. And if I ever have had situations like that, it's been more in a sort of corporate environment where I've felt that frustration and it's occurred to me that some women have to deal with this every day. So I'm not saying that I've never I've never seen it, but I, I realize it's there because I've seen glimpses of it. But I'm very happy to say that in my world, I've been lucky that that it hasn't often been something that's held me back in any way. That's great. All right. Just to switch to a happier subject, I heard you're working on a dance studio and I just wanted to know, are you a, a good dancer? I'm a good dancer. I, I'm a, I can dance for sure. What kind well, of dance? Yeah, I'm good is, is not that I love dancing, but not like organized dance, you know, not where I have to learn the steps and remember it. Although we did, I did take many dance classes at, at the same dance studio. A whole bunch of moms would take dance classes and it was fun. No, I love dancing. I mean, but um, my kids are dancers. So they, they've been a part of this dance studio for a long time. I like to do anything that's fun. <laughs> I want to hang out with you. I know. <laughs> the dance studio is great because, you know, this is a friend of mine who started her business, who came from Australia, had a dance studio in Australia. And she was one of the moms at the school and we became really good friends. And she opened a tiny studio. And now the studio is called Downtown Dance Factory is a huge downtown dance place for young dancers and I've just seen the business grow and we did our first design and then we did an addition and now we're doing another addition and uh, it's it's great they sort of give me freedom to design what I think would be good in there and so they're great to work with I love them and I've actually done these apartments two women who own the business and I've done both their homes as well so you know they know me very well and it's a very fun fun project You've mentioned fun a lot and happiness. You want your spaces to make people feel happy. And so I have kind of a deep existential question for you, which is what is truly important to you? Is it those two things, happiness and fun? Or is there something else that really, when you strip everything down, is your motivation? I honestly do think that happiness is the number one thing. But then also, you know, I've gotten a bit older and dare I say wiser and uh, less wild. And I think that also, you know, being stable mm. emotionally is huge. I mean, you can, you can jump around and be a crazy person, but it's like when you're winding down, you know, are you comfortable with yourself? Are you happy with yourself? Are you at peace? Contentment. I think I must be getting older. I'm definitely, I definitely <laughs> am getting older. <laughs> that was such a wise thing for me to say. It really was. <laughs> if you're getting older, you, you know, you're probably thinking about the end of your life. <laughs> what do you hope to accomplish before you kick the bucket? <laughs> you know, this is one thing that I do know. 
that I have had times where I've thought, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this. Things have happened to me that if you had told me, like, some of the things that have happened to me, some of the amazing connections or the people I've met or the experiences I've had or the adventures I've been on, I wouldn't have even been able to think that up in my wildest dreams. I have given up a long time ago and trying to figure out what my next adventure is going to be or, you know, where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do. I I don't know. I just leave it up to chance. And that's been kind of amazing. Yeah. It sounds like that's working out really well for you. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to take a note on how you live life, Ghislaine. Yeah, I I am too. Takes very, very little planning. (laughs) I like that. I'm like an obsessive planner. So I desperately need to, whatever it is you've got, I need to rub a little bit of it on me. I'll bottle it. And send <laughs> right, you should bottle it and sell it. <laughs> I'm in. I want stock in that company. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, what's next? What are the long-term goals? But, you know, you're not planning for these things. So, Well, no, I, that's not entirely true. I do have some, some things that I think would be fun to do. Okay, let's hear about those. Okay, so, you know, the whole product thing has been something that we've always done, but then just got a couple of years ago, we sort of thought, oh, well, let's just do this in a more formal way. And we, you know, started doing our papers for Flavor Paper. And then Brad Escalon and I worked on a line of furniture for LOL, mm-hmm. which was an amazing experience and so much fun. And I love the guys at LOL, Greg and Nate. Uh, they were such a pleasure to work with. And I, I love my collaboration with Brad Escalon. And so I just think that that's definitely more of what I want to do. HBF Textiles has just asked me to work on their line for 2018. So I'm super excited to do that. Awesome. And I love that I've never done anything like that before, you know, so Mm -hmm. that's a whole new adventure for me. And I love, I love that it's completely new, brand new. I don't know very much about textile. I mean, apart from that, I work with them every day, but the whole process is something that's new for me and so I'm excited excited about that. And then, you know, I'm looking at a, one of my inspiration boards right now. We're, we're going to design a line of lighting. Oh. You know, so I'm considering materials and ceramics and all kinds of things for that. Is that partnering with a manufacturer? Or are you going to release that under your own brand? No, I will partner with mm-hmm. a manufacturer. I'm not really interested in having anything manufactured on my own brand, at least not at this point in my life. I kind of like designing it and then, you know, collaborations are like, I love that. I like doing what I do, but then partnering with people who do what they do and do it well. And then we have some, uh, a rug line that we're working on that we're pretty excited about, but we're just in the beginning phases of that. So that, that's sort of, you know, I'm loving that we're doing more offices. You know, we just uh, finished an office space that just got published in Interior Design Magazine this month for a South African advertising company called Barrow. And that was like amazing for me and so great to be partnering with a South African company where everybody had the same accent as me. Mm-hmm. And it felt like being home in so many ways. That's something that I feel super excited about. And I love that, you know, I control that in so many ways because often you have to wait for clients to bring a project to you. And then I like that I can come up with something and I can develop it in my own time and figure out how I can partner with people to make these designs a reality. So that's that's fun. It's like taking the reins a little bit more. Mm-hmm. and uh, But it's a good thing to do while my team is working on projects as well, you know, because... 
you know, I work on the design of all my projects and I'm very involved in every single decision that happens, anything that gets picked, but I'm not at all involved in the day-to-day of making these projects happen, the logistics of it all. I have fantastic designers who work for me and make these projects happen. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I'm so lucky in that way because I have very, very short attention span and I get bored very quickly and I'm not good at details. And it takes being, you know, an older person, not that old, 48, but (laughs) it takes, it takes, but if I was 30, I probably couldn't have told you so easily what I suck at. And now (laughs) I'm really comfortable with talking about what I'm really awful at, but then I'll also tell you quite comfortably what I'm brilliant at. Yes. But so that's freed up a lot of time because I have this incredible crew that, you know, that makes these projects happen and uh, like super organized and super on top of things. So then it also opens up my time a bit and my creative energy to work on, on projects that I think are interesting. That's exciting. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about one project coming out that you really want our listeners to pay attention to. I don't know if it's the most recent Flavor Paper launch. Flavor Paper launch was very, very exciting, I think, because, you know, that project started out. It's two papers that we sort of launched at very similar times, and they're both inspired by the trip that we took back to South Africa. Also, at the time, I was working for the South African company, which even made it more real that we wanted to do something that was inspired by where I grew up in Durban. And one of them is called Wild Thing. And it is these gigantic, gigantic tropical leaves that my husband photographed, ironically, in the botanical garden, Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. So um, he he went and he photographed them there. And then they're this sort of great, I don't know, this like tropical graphic leaf pattern. And, you know, it's it's huge. I mean, you can scale it down to anything you want, but it has a minty background or pink background. I love the scale of it. It just makes you feel dwarfed, like you're in a jungle. Yeah, so, I mean, I love, like, I think that's one thing that I always love to play with in, on my project is scale is so important to me. You know, I tend to do things really big. And so one of the other prints that we did is called Shwe Shwe. And Shwe Shwe is a print that is commonly found on fabrics in South Africa. But it's tiny, tiny, tiny. Tiny. And what we did is we reinterpreted it and then blew it up. It's this gigantic circular pattern and it's very, very bold and very bright. And we actually just won an award during ICFF. I was happy to get that award. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, where can our listeners find your website and your social media handles? GVinteriors.com is my website and GV underscore interiors can find me on Instagram at that. And then Facebook is also GB Interiors. It's fun to follow you. You always have really beautiful photos to share. Oh, God. I actually love doing Instagram. It's so fun. I yeah. really, really like doing it. That's it's quick favorite. and it's easy. And it, yeah, it's, it's very gratifying. Well, thank you so much for, for talking to us and for sharing your life story and your work philosophy and your fearlessness really means a lot to us. It's been so fun talking to you. We need to do this with um, martinis next time or something, right? Oh, we've been talking about that. We're like, we really need to <laughs> have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was almost as good as, uh, as a drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. That was so much fun. 
She sounds like somebody I would love to be best friends with. I just want to hang out with her. I love her work. It does make you happy. I love that that's part of her motivation because I think what is the biggest gift you can give somebody else other other than making them feel good? Yeah. That's huge. Seriously. And I love that that's her philosophy. And, and I appreciate her honesty in saying, you know, it was happiness and now... You know, it's more along the lines of a contentment form of happiness where you feel secure and comfortable with who you are and your place in the world and all of those things. And and I I love that she said that because I think as you get older, you start looking at life like that. Yes. And you start editing out the drama wherever you can because it's it's no longer (laughs) about being whipped around solving problems. Yeah. Yeah. Like what's important to you is is different. Mm -hmm. You know what I thought was really interesting, too, is she talks about being overconfident in many areas and being fearless. And I actually thought it was very fearless of her to admit that she's also very insecure about some things. And I really appreciated that she shared that with us. You know, I think it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. And mm-hmm. But vulnerability is what really helps you understand the other person as a human you can relate to. And so when she shares with us her fallibility, I feel more connected to her. And I feel more connected to her work. And I feel like her work even just got layers and layers deeper when I understood that she really wants to be liked. And that's such a human thing. That's I don't think any of us really at our core don't care about being liked. I think a lot of people, most people care about being liked. Yeah. And I think that it's a huge fear for most people to, to not be liked. And whether or not that's like you know, a selfish reason to be upset that you hurt somebody's feelings. (laughs) It's still a very honest thing for her to say that not a lot of people would come out and and reveal. Well, it's very self-aware too. And I think that self-awareness lends a real depth and authenticity to a person's design practice because that self-awareness helps you also pick up key personality traits in other people. And when she's talking about weaving people's personalities into their own spaces, then of course you're going to feel happy and content and at home in a space that truly reflects you. Go Gilen! Yeah, whatever she's got, she needs to bottle that up immediately. I'm buying it. And sell it. (laughs) I'm going to spritz it on myself. Spritz it, rub it, whatever I have to do, roll around in it, but I need some of it. Yes. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and sign up for our newsletter, read the show notes and see images of Guylaine's work over at our website, cleverpodcast.com. And you can connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Clever Podcast. We love hearing from you and we love to read every single comment. As always, this episode of Clever was edited by Chris Modal of Your Studio with music by L1011. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.